I, I can remember a time, and, um, and I was trying to remember when it was, whether it was in fourth grade or fifth grade, and then I remembered my, who my fifth grade teacher was, and I realized if we had done it in fifth grade, that teacher would have killed us all, right? Uh, you know, when, when I grew up, if you're a teacher, when I grew up, we really feared our teachers, <laughs> you know, because they could paddle, and all God's people said, amen, yeah. I mean, there was a genuine fear that you would have with some of the things that kids do today. Boy, that, I mean, I'm sounding so old, aren't I? <laughs> but I can remember, I think it was fourth grade. Because the fourth grade teacher I could see, the third grade teacher, believe it or not, my third grade teacher, and I think I've shared this, was also my third grade Sunday school teacher. God bless that poor woman, Right? <laughs> But in fourth grade, the teacher left the room. It has to be fourth grade. The teacher left the room, and it was like our entire class lost its mind. (laughs) It was the craziest thing. You know, somebody threw something, then somebody else threw something, and then the next thing you know, no lie, when the teacher came back in the room, people were actually sitting up in cabinets throwing things out. And she walked in. I'll never forget her look. She just went. And we all looked back at her as like, we don't even know what happened here. You know, we just, we just kind of, just chaos just happened. You know, life's like that. When a group of people, boy, don't we know this, a group of people can get caught up in chaos. And in life, it seems like that chaos is oftentimes connected with other people. And all of us have experienced that, right? <laughs> where, where you, oh, if it just wasn't for other people, life would be so calm and peaceful. Chaos seems to be connected with other people. So, you know, work, work would be great if it wasn't for the people you had to work with, right? <laughs> you know, the coworkers, the bosses, the customers, whatever. Work would be a lot easier without people, <laughs> I knew a pastor one time that said he wanted to pastor a church where there was no people. Uh, (laughs) Because people are associated with chaos. That when you encounter other folks, oftentimes it feels like that can be where chaos is situated. Uh, In families. (laughs) I always say, when, when when they gave us the boys, you know, they wrapped those babies up real tight. And I tell parents, don't unwrap them. Uh, You know, just just keep them just like that. Uh, Because once they're unwrapped, the chaos never ends. It it seems like in life that chaos is associated with people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families. I mean, if, if we were honest, we would say most of the time when there's chaos, when there's disorder in our life, it's related to other people. And, and we tend to believe that it's in solitude, in alone time, that we have order in our life. And there's some truth to that. Every person needs times of solitude. Not, not so you can be by yourself, but in solitude it orients ourselves so that we can, we can respond appropriately in community and with other people. But, but the truth is, chaos is not found in people. Uh, in reality, we find life together. That, that we can't do it alone. And, and you see this from the beginning, this ideal that, that life is not found in isolation, but life is found with other people. 
You see it in the creation account. In the creation account, as you read in Genesis 1, the, the, the creation account moves directly from chaos to order. God, our God is a God of order. Amen? And God creates from chaos to order. He begins with this empty void, nothingness, chaos, you know, the, the, the sea covering the earth. This, this is an image of chaos, and God creates land, and He creates uh, light and night and day, and He creates animals, and He creates plants, and all of these things are moved in the creation account towards order chaos to order. And, and the crowning achievement of God's creation is what? You can say it. Us. Human, Lord help us. We, we are the crowning event of creation. At the end of creation, God in Genesis 1 creates man and woman. And, and so that, that is the, the conclusion. We, we have moved from chaos to order. And, and the crowning event is not a world where mankind, humankind does not exist, but where humankind in relationship with one another exists. That is the crowning moment of creation. Now, now, now Genesis 1 just simply says that man was created in God's image and, and, and he created male and female. Now, Genesis 2 gives us more detail of, of creation. G Genesis 1 is a poem. It's a song. This is how Genesis opens, and it, it, it's more brief. It's more poetic. And then in Genesis 2, you begin to get some details, more details onto, as to the creation of humankind. And, and, and it says that, that God reaches down, <laughs> and, and from the dust of the earth forms Adam, that, that God personally reaches down and touches and forms this, this human known as Adam, and he breathes into him the, the spirit or the breath or the wind or, or life. God breathes into Adam's nostrils. So in, in this creation of Adam, there's this, this personal touch, this relational touch, that it's not God just speaking, but it's God reaching down and touching. So here's Adam, and he's in this sinless world, right? He's naming the animals, you know, you go, no, that's a cow, and that's a bird, and I don't know what that is, God, can you tell me what that is? And he's naming all these animals, and that's a grasshopper, because it's in the grass that's jumping, and, uh, you know, that, that's a kind of a lame name, but that's what he calls it. Maybe he named them the Latin names, I don't know. So he's naming the animals, and, and God looks down at Adam in this perfect, sinless environment. His relationship with God is, is, is not marred by sin. There, there's no sin in the earth. It, it's perfect, it's good, and God looks down at Adam in this situation, what does he say? It's not good for man to be alone. And all you women said, amen, right? <laughs> it's when we're alone that we get in all sorts of trouble. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And, and, and even though his relationship with me is not marred by sin. Even though he's living in a perfect creation, even though everything that I've created is good, it is not good and it is not perfect without relationship with someone else. 
We were created in relationship for relationship. As humans, you are not created to do this alone. It's impossible to do this alone. And even in perfect, the Garden of Eden, Adam was not whole without relationship with Eve, without relationship with someone else. Now we know the rest of the story. We, we have in Genesis 3 the story of the fall. And they, they eat the, the fruit of the tree. I, I think it's an apple tree, right? Or is that what it is? Or is the plum tree? Whatever the tree is, they eat the fruit. And it breaks their relationship. And, and, and they, they cover themselves up and they, they hide in the trees and they're hiding from each other and they're hiding from God. And God comes looking, Adam, where are you? You know the story. God, God looks for us first always. And, and, and God's looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and then he begins to tell them the repercussions of their sin, of all the hardship, of what sin means. And there's this one meaningful thing that he says to Eve. He says, Eve, you know, you will long for your husband, but he will rule over you. In other words, this relationship that was meant to bring wholeness and perfection and, and completeness is now oppositional. That there's this power struggle, there's this breach, there's this break in relationship, not only with God our Father, but with each other. Relationship with God is marred. Relationship with each other is marred. And within a generation, what do we have? What happens with Cain and Abel? Murder. Well, within one think about that. We can really mess stuff up fast, can't we? Right? Amen? It's true. You know, when we, when we go our own way, we can mess stuff up pretty quick. And within one generation, the, the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Cain is murdering his brother Abel. A mess. Broken relationship between God and us. Broken relationships with each other. There's separation. There's hatred. There, there, there's murder. There's, there, there's warfare. All of these things that we see even now. And it's into this that Jesus steps. Je Jesus, the incarnate God, comes and he teaches and he gives and he dies on a cross and he, he, he has risen from the dead for one purpose. He has come to give us new relationship with our Heavenly Father and new relationship with each other. The work of Jesus on the cross is a cross work. It is vertical and it is horizontal. He has restored our relationship with our Heavenly Father and He has restored our relationship with each other. So much so that some writers suggest that we can't even properly love each other but for the love of Jesus Christ coming and being part of our life. That it's only in relationship with God that we really learn to love and be loved and know what it means to love each other. And Jesus is teaching 
about what is going on and what he's trying to accomplish uh, and, he, and, he's, and he's coming and he's dying and he's resurrection and, and Matthew 22, 34 through 40 you can turn with me if you want it will be on the screen as well Matthew 22, 34 through 40 uh, it says this hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees the Pharisees got together one of them, an expert in the law tested him with this question Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in, in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. <laughs> The, the great commandment, what this means is everything that God has been doing for, from creation to the cross, all that he was doing through the prophet, through the laws, all that God was doing to restore humanity could be summed up in these two things, loving God and loving each other. That, that's it. And this is the point of it all. Now, when you, when you look at the great commandment, how would you term it? How, how would you describe it? See, the, the great commandment is a relational command. It's not just about doing things, but the great, great commandment is about our relationship with God and with others. It, it's about a restored relationship with God where I can fully love Him and I can experience His love. It's about a restored relationship with each other where I can fully love each other, uh, others and they can love me. This is the point of it all. This is what God is trying to do. Restoring. Now, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this. Uh, we, we've, the series is called Life Together. And there's a couple things you can do. We've got in the back of the sanctuary, we have, <clears throat> we have name tags. There's a purpose to that. We need to know each other better, right? And, and the first thing we need to know is each other's names. <laughs> That's good, right? Uh, so, so we'll be doing this all through the series, um, simply because I, I don't think that once every six months is enough, enough we need to do this more often, right? Somebody, somebody say amen just to make me feel better about myself. Uh, we, we've also... Uh, compiled a book uh, to, to go with this. It's, it's not long. It's, it, it, there, there's PDF copies out there on the table, uh, Life Together books. It's also on the website. We would prefer that you get it, download it from the website. If you can do it on your computer, we have it as an iBook. We have it as a PDF file. It, it's available on the website. It also went out through the email. Uh, I, I believe it will probably go out on Facebook as well. Uh, but there's, there's a limited number of copies out there. If we run out of copies and, and you don't have access to a computer and you want a copy of this to read along with us, then, then we'll be more than happy uh, to print another copy, but we're trying to avoid printing as much as we can. But, but I'm hoping that, that in addition to sermon time, you'll take some time through the week and, and read through some of these chapters. In the back of the chapters, we have discussion questions that we can use in small groups and use in other places. And so you'll find them, the discussion questions you find in your bulletin will be in the books from now on, as opposed to, to printing them out separately in the, in the, in the, um, in the bulletin. In the back of the sanctuary, we have typewriters. Look at those things. Those are like computers from 400 years ago. Um, 
And what we're asking you to do is to simply type some words that you associate with the church family, or maybe just a family in general, you know, like love or, or hope or, or support or encouragement. Whatever word, when you think of family, just type that on that typewriter. It's fun. If you've not typed on a typewriter, who's typed on a typewriter in the last 10 years? 10 years. Oh, put your hands down. Okay. So if you've not done it in two years, it's kind of like a, um, a retro throwback. You know, you'll feel like a, a cool person doing it. So take the, some time uh, through this series as, as those are out there and type these words that you associate with, with, with family and, and, and the church family. But, but the series is about core values. We're, we're starting to focus on the core values we have as a church body. And the ch- first course, core value we're going to talk about is this, transformation through relational discipleship. I believe that this core value is the key to our future as a church. You know, you wonder what's going on in the church, and, and, and we focus so much on our Sunday morning gatherings, right? That, that seems to be what churches focus on, and, and Sunday morning gatherings can become consumer-driven. Uh, I believe the key to our church and the key to most churches going forward is this ideal of relational discipleship. That that discipleship does not happen simply in the context of a Sunday morning gathering, but discipleship happens in the midst of relationship with each other. Now, now it's easier. Why, Why do churches focus on this time? It's easier to focus on this time than the other times. It is. It's easier as a pastor. I've got you all together. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we, we have this set time. It's simply easier to focus on this. But, but I believe the key to our future is not what's going to happen in here, but what happens in small groups and Sunday school classes and informal gatherings throughout the week. We are formed in relationship. You are formed. I have been formed in the relationships of life. I have been formed by my family. You have been formed by your family. You have been formed by church friends and Sunday school classes and small groups. We are formed in relationships, in small groups, and in discussing God's word together. You know, there's a level of discipleship. Could somebody get me some water before I die? Okay, Dave, would you get me, see if you get some water? There is a level of discipleship that occurs in here, but not to the extent that it happens in the midst of relationship with each other. That is why Jesus calls us to what? Discipleship. Discipleship is a relational command, and we'll talk more about that. But, but I am convinced that, that the life of this church and the life of other churches depends on building through small. It's been the key in the past. Who's been part of the Nazarene church for more than, let's say, 40 years? Raise your hand. Do you remember the time when Sunday school was bigger than morning worship? In the Nazarene church, it used to be, now I don't know how other churches were. All I've ever been is a Nazarene. I'm sorry, so you can say poor pastor. All he's ever been is Nazarene. That's all I've ever known. But when I was a child, when I was younger, the biggest time in the church was during the Sunday school hour. It was the most significant time. And I believe for us, it will be more important that we find times to get together in small groups and Sunday school classes and discipleship groups. Here we go. Let's see if we can do it. 
Yeah. in small groups than the large gatherings. As a matter of fact, I, I believe that in the future, for us to be the church that God wants us to be, this hour will be driven by our discipleship groups. So what's our practical goal? Our practical goal is this, 90 together. What's that mean? Well, I believe outside this church time, this, this hour time, my goal is for every person in this church to find 90 minutes with other believers outside this sanctuary and, and, and discipleship and fellowship and learning and praying and loving and getting to know one another. Why 90 minutes? I, I don't think an hour does it. You know, think about our Sunday school time. If you're in a Sunday school class, in 60 minutes, if you do prayer requests and, and you learn from the Word, that's pretty much all the thing you can get done in an hour, right? So, so 90 minutes gives you, if you want to break it down, it gives you 30 minutes of just plain old fellowship. And, and, and folks, people have to know that you love them before they'll really share what's going on in their life. You know, don't ever believe that, oh, well, we've got the time and people will, will share these in-depth things. No, we need to get to know one another, know, know what makes us tick, know that each other, that we love each other before we can share requests and before we can really begin to learn what God wants to teach us through his word. It gives you time to, to, to learn from his word. It gives you time to pray together. 90 minutes together. That is my goal. If you're asking me, my, my vision for every member of this church is that you find an opportunity to have 90 minutes with other believers in a small group, a smaller setting than on Sunday morning. So here's some steps, uh, so some practical ways that, that we could kick this off. Would you be willing to hope, op, host an open house over the next three months? I mean, through the next three months, would you be willing to open your home for others to come? Now, Terry and I, we tried to, we did one last year, and, and so we, we want to do one every year, and so probably, I'm thinking December 18th, Sunday afternoon, we'll do an open house. Maybe some of you could join us on that same day, and we could have several open houses throughout the day where people could almost come as a progressive manner and be in each other's homes. See, I, I believe that as Christians, we need to be in each other's homes. Folks, can I just speak from the heart? Some of you have been around the church for a long time. Do you see the shift, the switch that's happened in the church? Some of you that, that have been part of the church, I, I can remember, I, I grew up in a Nazarene church, and I can remember what it used to be like. We, we opened our homes, and people were in our homes, and we had people over to eat, and, and we went over to their house, and their kids played with our kids. And, and some of these times were informal, and some of these were formal, but we were in each other's homes. Amen. And now we're disconnected. Would you be willing to host an open house over the next three months? Would you be willing to have someone over for dinner? Maybe, maybe it's somebody you've not had over for a while. You say, well, pastor, you know, I don't, I don't really like having people in my house. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. See, I, I think you really get to know people, not in times like this, 
But in times when you're sitting on a back porch and you're grilling hamburgers or you're, you're, you're sitting in your dining room and you're sitting and talking, I believe it's essential to the life of the church that, that we be people that allow people into our homes and spend time with each other in that kind of significant way. And then the final step is a small group focus. My hope, my prayer, my goal is that, and I know that, that goals are aspirational, that, that maybe we'll never get to this point, but my goal is that everyone in this church will have a place, a small group that they can belong to. Now, now beyond that, the whole goal of this is this. I believe everyone that is part of this church should be able to say, I have a friend here. <laughs> When I've come into this building, there's someone that I know well enough that I can trust with issues in my life, that if I have a need, I can present that to them. If I'm missing, they know it. Amen. And small groups are a strategy, a way that that can be accomplished. So my goal is that everyone would be part of a small group. Now, there's always this fear. Is this the end of Sunday school, Pastor? No. <laughs> no. It's not the end of Sunday school. Don't, don't freak out. Give me your best freak out face. Let me see it. Okay, some of you are freaking out. It's not the end of Sunday school. Sunday school is an awesome starting point. It's an awesome thing to do. Nothing, Sunday school is good. The, the problem with Sunday school in our church is it's a limited time and it's a limited space. We are limited to the amount of people that we can minister to in a Sunday school environment because we don't have Sunday school facilities. We have limited space for Sunday school. And we have limited time. It's 50 minutes. And those of you who teach Sunday school understand that in that 50 minutes, it's very difficult to do all the things that need to happen in the midst of a small group. And so this isn't the end of Sunday school, uh, and it's not the end of doing that. We'll continue to do that as, as long as people support and come out to Sunday school. We'll have Sunday school. But I believe small groups are the future. And some of you say, well, pastor, I already belong to, to a, a Sunday school class. Why would I have to do a small group? Well, why are you adding extra burdens on me? Okay? <laughs> now I'm going to speak very really. Okay? Don't be offended. In the past few years, many of you were involved in Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And you're not now. Amen? You're not. And, 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 and you know, I, I guess sometimes I hear, oh, well, we need to have other services. No. You need to spend more time in prayer and fellowship and discipleship with people that can love you through this. And so all of that space that you once filled your week, you can now utilize for effective small groups. Now, the church building's always open. You know, if, 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 if you want to create a small group or be part of a small group, but, but, but you want to do it here Sunday night, there's, there's typically spaces somewhere in the building on Sunday nights. Or Wednesday night, there's other spaces. There, through the week, we will make space available for you as, as we're able through the week if you really want to do that time in our church building. I don't know, something about homes is special to me that I think that if we can do it in homes, we should. So are you willing 
to host a small group beginning in January? Are you willing to lead a small group beginning in January? And, and I'd ask that if you're willing to do that, uh, to, to put that on a card to see me, uh, we're going to have training available over the next two months to, to kick these small groups off in January. And, and so if you're willing to host, if you're willing to just, if you're willing to lead, uh, see me so that we can make sure that we have appropriate training in the next couple months. What is God wanting us to become? I believe God's wanting us to become a church where the, where the focus is not what's happening here, but the focus is what's happening in the small group discipleship environment. It's where friendships are formed. It's where discipleship occurs. It's where prayer occurs. It's where, where real care can occur. It's where we can open ourselves up to other folks. See, some of you have been in this church for a long, long time, and I'm not going to identify you by name, Okay. Some of you have been part of this church for a long time and you don't want in friendships or connection, but you've been here so long that sometimes it's very difficult for other people to break into the circles of care that have already been formed by years of relationship. That's a hard truth, but it's true. And so somehow we have to, we have to break through what we've known and who we've known to include and embrace all that God is calling us to disciple. Many years ago, I read a, um, a book by um, uh, Tom Rainer, who's, a, who's the uh, uh, statistic, a statistician. He, he does surveys. And he said something that was striking to me. He said, God's smarter than we give him credit for. He doesn't send people into a church that's not willing and able to disciple them. (laughs) And sometimes churches stop growing just simply because God says, I cannot trust them to embrace and disciple this family, this individual. My prayer is this, that we are a church that's known as a church with open arms that are willing to embrace and accept and love people right where we find them and walk with them through this path to holiness. We we don't just leave people where they are. God didn't just leave me and he didn't just leave you right where we are, but he accepted me right where where I was as I came to him and, and, and the church did as well. God is wanting us to become a people who's doing and finding life together. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to close with communion. And, you know, oh, Pastor, that's too many times in a row. I, you know, I think, I think it's against the manual to have communion four weeks in a row or something. Why? See, communion is a relational ritual. For, from the beginning of time, the, the church has had communion. Jesus instituted communion. And and really, the the other sacrament that that we recognize, the baptism sacrament, is is a relational sacrament too because it's saying you now belong to a new family. It's like being born again into the family of God. So it's relational as well. But communion is particularly relational. And in communion, we don't do it by ourselves, but we do it with others. 
You know, we, we do it in this environment and, and we share in a cup and we share in a loaf and we, we share communion together because it's a reminder that we're not doing this all alone. That, that God has come, and I would put it this way, God has come and he was restored a garden relationship. A garden relationship with him and a garden relationship with others. And we recognize that it's not good for us to be alone. That we need each other. And God has brought us into his family, the family of God. And God sits at the table. The head of the table is Jesus. And we share this common meal together. Giving him thanks for a restored relationship with him. Giving him thanks for a restored relationship with each other. Look at each other. Tell your neighbor, I can love you because of what Jesus did. The meaning of communion and the fact that, that across the world today, churches are sharing in a meal is significant. It means we're one, one table, one faith, one baptism, one God. So there's a sharing that's here, but there's the universal sharing. But today, I'm concerned about not the universal body of Christ, but I'm concerned about this body of Christ. God wants us to be one. One table, one people. Stand with me if you will. We'll receive communion by intention today, which simply means, and Bob and Christy, if you guys would come and uncover, uh, means that you just come and you, I'm going to read scripture and I'll pray with you. Then you come and you, you dip the bread. Um, in, in the middle here, uh, we, we have some that have gluten allergies, and so this is gluten-free. That, that's regular. This is unleaded, I guess. No, that's a... <laughs> That's just regular. Unless you have a gluten allergy, I don't think there's any necessity. It doesn't taste any better. Let's put it that way. Uh, I I try all the communion before just so I know you'll be satisfied with it. Uh, But but by intention, you'll dip. If you do need special assistance in in receiving uh, communion, we have the the portable ones. If I get some ushers in the back just to dismiss from the back, what we'll do is we'll dismiss from the back, and you'll come down the center aisles, and then uh, let's go through these center aisles and then come out the the side aisles. Uh, Let me read Scripture and pray with you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying... Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has come to restore relationship with our Heavenly Father and restore relationship with each other. Lord, help us now as we receive these elements to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you to be thankful, Lord, for what you've done. And Lord, just to may your praise forever be on our lips. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs> Folks, I hope you'll prayerfully consider what we've talked about this morning. I know this maybe has been a little bit of a different approach, a different way of talking about this. It's not been, uh, it's been more of a conversation than, than probably a sermon, but, but I believe this is essential in the life of our church. See, it's real easy 
once you've been part of a place for a long time, to become kind of, um, to create almost a hard shell around relationships. You, you know each other, you love each other so well, and that's not a bad thing. The only way it becomes a bad thing is if we're not open for other people to become part uh, of, of our church. Uh, think back at what this church has meant to you, how it's nurtured you, how it's, how it's been a place where you've encountered Christ and, and learned to be loved and love other people. Uh, imagine uh, what that could mean to someone in your neighborhood, someone in the community that needs to find relationship with Christ and imagine what God could do through us. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, Lord, thank you for the restored relationship we have with you. Thank you for the relationship we have with each other. Uh, Lord, may we um, be open in, 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 our, in our hearts and our souls, Lord, to any fresh move that you want to make. Lord, we, we don't want to be closed off to others, but Lord, we want to be a place where people can, can become a part, uh, they can be discipled, and they can be led into a loving relationship with you and with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.